Hope today finds you well. I'm glad you're joining with us today. Uh, we're going to start with prayer. Um, right now, we have a lot to pray about with our country. I'm sure you're all aware of the all of the unrest going on kind of all over the country right now. So we want to spend some time this morning praying for our country. Uh, I've got some requests here. One, pray God will turn people's hearts toward Himself. I'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, pray Americans will see their spiritual poverty and that Americans will awaken to their great need for Jesus. Pray God would, God's people would demonstrate a spirit of repentance and prayer both individually and corporately. Pray people would be able to see the truth, that error would be exposed, and that wicked agendas would be made weak. Pray for peace. Right? Because James says that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And, and pray Christians would avoid negativity, fault finding, and contentiousness. But instead would stand out as God's loving and pure children. I, I think all of those are important. But the last one is very important. The world right now is contentious. The world right now is negative. The only way we're going to stand out from the crowd is to not join in those same sort of mindsets and words. Uh, I want to read a psalm before we pray. And it's Psalm 85. It's not our psalm for the day. It was one of my Bible reading for yesterday. And it says, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of the people. Thou hast covered all their sin." Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry forever with us? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints, but let not let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh unto them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Now, of course, that's a familiar psalm about praying for God to revive us, but what really stood out to me yesterday as I was watching the news was what it says in verse 4, Turn us, O God. I mean, that is the great need. I mean, as we look at, at what's going on in, in, in our country right now, not just... This weekend, but in general, it is pretty clear that the hearts of the people of our country are largely not geared or turned toward God. Right? And, and what we know in the Bible is there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seeketh after God. So, so man's heart is not naturally going to turn toward God. Right? And especially in the midst of all of the anger and the violence and the things going on right now. The hearts of the people are not going to naturally turn toward God. So the great need, the greatest need, is for God to turn the hearts of the people toward Himself. Right? For God to begin to work in, in the church, to draw our hearts closer to Him, and to work in those who are angry, those who are lost, those who are stirring up strife, those who are fearful, and He would turn their hearts to Him. So pray especially for God to turn the hearts of the people toward Himself. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We come this morning and we are thankful for all You have given us and all You have done for us in our life. 
Father, we are thankful for Jesus and the salvation He has won for us on the cross. We thank You for Your Holy Spirit that has brought that salvation to bear upon our lives and caused our hearts to turn toward You so we might be saved. We are thankful, Lord, for our country and the freedoms we have here, uh, the ability to gather to worship You, Lord, to uh, to live in a time where when there is a need to, to dismiss in-person gatherings, the technology is available for us to still find ways to meet together. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your goodness and Your provision for our lives. We pray for our nation today. Father, there are so many who are angry, so many who are scared, so many who are hurting. And Lord, we know You are the answer. We know Jesus came to to bind up the broken heart that, that He can bring the healing into all of these situations that's needed. So, Father, we ask You to begin to turn our hearts to You. Father, let our hearts be be broken at the injustice and the sin and the, the agony and the pain of our world. Father, there is a, a time to have a kind of a righteous anger. But at the same time, there should be a brokenness over the suffering and the hurting and the just the pain that's going on in our world. Let, let us as your people, let us model your hearts. How your heart must ache as you look down at what's going on in our nation today. God, let our hearts mirror your hearts. Let us ache over the things that you ache for. Father, for those that are angry, for those that are hurting, for those that are lost and so far from You, Lord. Send Your Holy Spirit to begin to work in their lives to turn their hearts to You. God, their hearts are not naturally going to turn to You. There's nothing that that anyone is going to do that will turn their hearts to You apart from Your moving upon them. And so we plead with You, God, on this Pentecost Sunday, Pour out Your Spirit upon Your church, upon this nation, and let Him begin to work to draw people to Jesus. Father, what's going on right now, it is not good. It is not, it is just bad. God, You are the God who can work all things for our good and Your glory, so You are able to work in this situation and let it come out as a win. Lord, a win for Your glory, a win for the people. Do it, O God. Let this bring a about a great revival in our country. Let the churches rise up and be be people of peace, people who offer the hope, help, and healing of the gospel, people who are committed to, to reconciliation and doing Your will in our world. Have Your way today in all we say and all we do. Be glorified, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, today is Pentecost Sunday. Now the word Pentecost, it means... 50th, and it refers to a Jewish feast held 50 days after the second day of Passover. Now, the great significance uh, of this day changed in Acts chapter 2. It went from an Old Testament feast day to the day we, we celebrate or we anticipate or, or really we recognize the, the coming of the Holy Spirit to indwell and empower disciples of Jesus. Now, today, We're going to depart from our study in the book of Joshua, but we're going to stay in our series called Forward to look at that very first Pentecost Sunday so we can see why Pentecost matters as we seek to move forward. So if you have your Bible, open them up to Acts chapter 2. 
We're going to start in verse 1, read verses 1 through 12, and over the period of the sermon, we will look at most of the chapter. Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were all, where they were all sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because every man heard them speak in his own tongue. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Behold! Are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues. The wonderful works of God. They were all amazed and were in doubt, saying to one another, What meaneth this? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And we do need you today. Fathers, we look at this passage of Scripture and we see when the Holy Spirit descended upon the church and the great change that He wrought in their lives and, and the way that He led the church forward from this point on. God, we, we cry out today for an outpouring of Your Holy Spirit. Lord, we are... We are not all together in one place, but we are in one accord. We are united in heart. We are united in purpose. We are united in our longing to see Gaiman one for Christ. So God, pour out Your Spirit upon us today and, and let us have an understanding of this passage and why Pentecost matters and what the Holy Spirit does in us and through us and for us. And let us, God, have a hunger to be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led and Spirit-empowered in every area of our lives that we would walk in the Spirit and we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That we would be, Lord, according to Your will, we would do all the things You want us to do. Father, guide us today to have ears to hear and hearts to obey. Let Your Holy Spirit stir up a, a hunger and a longing within us to, to be more devoted to You, to be more committed to Your Word, to be more active in mission of trying to make disciples of all nations. Let Your Holy Spirit so fill us that He flows out of our hearts like rivers of living water. Father, give me today clarity of thought and clarity of speech. And help me not in any way to be a hindrance to what you want done. Let me only say what you want said. Father God, that the word would go forth with power and with unction of your spirit. Use this to strengthen us, to encourage us, to convict us where we need it. Draw us closer to you. Have your way, we ask in the mighty name of Christ our Savior. Amen. So in obedience to Jesus, the disciples had gathered, had prayed, and had waited on the promise of the Father until that day came. So as the disciples waited and as they prayed, Jesus kept His Word and He poured out the Holy Spirit on all those who were gathered there. Now the, the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 is the first demonstration of the Holy Spirit's work in and for the church of Jesus Christ. The, the book of Acts continually 
points out to us the many ways the Holy Spirit works in and through the church to accomplish the mission of Christ of making disciples of all nations. Now, part of what the Holy Spirit was doing through His work in the church, through the church and for the church, was leading them forward. Right, The church at this time, they were gathered together in one spot. They were waiting. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them and, and they stayed. When the Holy Spirit came, they, they stayed in Jerusalem despite the fact Jesus said they were to be His witnesses all over the world. So the Holy Spirit compelled them. He pushed them out and He drove them forward. And, and just all and all the way through the book of Acts, we find the Holy Spirit leading the church forward, pulling them forward, calling them forward. Right? The leading and the filling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit was essential to the church to be able to move forward as Jesus intended for them to. The filling, leading, and empowering of the Holy Spirit is just as essential for us if we want to move forward. Right? If we are to move forward as individuals, we need the Holy Spirit to lead us. If we are to move forward as a church, we need the Holy Spirit to lead us. If we are to move forward as families, we must have the Holy Spirit to lead us. So, the key truth today is we must be Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, and Spirit-empowered to move forward in our lives, our families, and our church. Moving us forward is part of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives, our families, and our church. That is, write it down, that is a part of what He is here to do in us and through us and for us. Everything the Spirit does in us and through us and for us is in part to help us move forward in the ways Jesus wants us to move forward. So today what I want to do is I want to give you four truths about the Holy Spirit and His role in moving us forward. Right, so truth number one, the Holy Spirit is for everyone. Now this is a huge truth for us to understand. God's intention is for each and every disciple of Jesus to be Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, and Spirit-empowered in their lives. Right, we see this all throughout Acts chapter 2. So first look at verse 3. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and it set upon each of them. Right? So the Holy Spirit came and set upon each of them. Now, Acts chapter 1 and 1 tells us there were about 150 believers uh, that were gathered there that were a part of it. So when the Holy Spirit comes, He doesn't set just on Peter. Right? The Holy Spirit comes, He doesn't set just on on the apostles. He doesn't sit just on those who may so have the gift of prophecy. No, the Holy Spirit comes and He sets upon them all. Then in verse 4 we see, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Right? So the Holy Spirit came upon them all. The Holy Spirit filled them all. Now look at verse 17 and 18. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, upon all people. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out, my, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Right, so Peter quotes the prophet Joel saying the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all people. Not some people, but all people. Now notice the specific wording. Upon sons and daughters, old men 
and young men. So, uh, male servants and female servants. Right, The Holy Spirit was going to come on all people. And so all of the sort of classifications, like a gender classification, didn't matter. Men and women both would receive the Holy Spirit. Right, The Holy Spirit just wasn't for the young and the strong or the old and the wise. The Holy Spirit came upon all people. So the age barriers, the age thing, wasn't an issue. Even social barriers, the idea of servants, is typically pictured the idea of slaves. Right, so upon those who owned, or those who were wealthy and upon those who were poor, social and cultural distinctions didn't matter. All of the sort of barriers were broken down and the Holy Spirit was there to come upon all people. Now look at verse 38 and 39. Verse 38, And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and unto your children and unto all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Right. So Peter said, repent and be baptized and you shall receive the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this promise and he's referring to the Holy Spirit in verse 39, is for you and for your children, for those who are far off, and for as many as the Lord our God shall call. So the picture is that the Holy Spirit for all people, it wasn't just on the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit came upon all people, but for all time the Holy Spirit will come upon all believers. Let everyone who repents of their sin and believes in Jesus Christ receives the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 and 9 says every believer in Jesus is indwelt by the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. Now this is a, a crucial thought. Because everything we're going to look at today, everything we're going to look at in the book of Joshua, it is for all people. In all places and all times. Right? So the Holy Spirit and all He does, it's not just for certain people, like a pastor or a missionary or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. The Holy Spirit and all He does is for all believers in Jesus Christ. If you have repented of your sins and believed upon Jesus Christ, the Spirit of the living God lives within you. He indwells you. And God's plan, God's role, God's desire is for you to be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led and Spirit-empowered in every area of your life. This is... And I don't have much time to, to get into this, but in the Old Testament, every believer didn't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon specific people at a specific time for a specific mission for only a specific time. But that's not the way it is now in the New Covenant. The Holy Spirit comes and He makes His home within us. Dear brother or sister in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God lives within you. So when we talk about being Spirit-filled, that means something you can have and experience. When we talk about being Spirit-led, that is something you can have and you can experience. When we talk about being Spirit-empowered, that is something you can have and you can experience. We don't all have the same callings. We don't all go the same ways. But we all have the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit within us is filling us and leading us 
and empowering us to move forward in our lives, in our families, and in our church. Do not limit what God can do in you, through you, and for you. You have the Holy Spirit of the living God living within you. So the Holy Spirit is for everyone. Secondly, the Holy Spirit empowers us. We see the Holy Spirit's empowering all throughout Acts chapter 2. Right? So start in verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Holy Spirit empowered them uh, to speak in other tongues. We look in verse 6 through 11. And what we find is the other tongues they spoke in were known languages. Right, So it was a language that they themselves had never studied or did not understand. But it was a known language in the world. Right, So verse 6, they said, we hear them in our own language. Verse 8, how hear we every man in our own tongue. And in verse 11, in our own tongues. Right, So what the Holy Spirit empowered them to do was speak a language they had never studied. And they had never understood but was a, a language of the day. Now when you look down at verse 11, we see the purpose of this empowering. Right? In our, we hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Right? So what were they saying in these other tongues? Well, it's likely a combination of praise and proclamation. Right? They are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're talking about the Savior who has come, who has died, has risen, and has ascended into heaven and now sent His Spirit to be upon His church. And they are praising God for the great things He has done in sending Jesus, in saving them, in filling them with this Holy Spirit. There's, the Holy Spirit is empowering them to proclaim the good news and praise the good God. Then we look at verse 14 through 16. And we see the Holy Spirit had given Peter a new sense of boldness, right? Now remember, prior to Pentecost, Peter was a guy who, he was not bold, right? Jesus told him, on the night of the Lord's Supper, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, there ain't no way that's going to happen. And then when Jesus was arrested, Peter and all of the rest fled. Peter followed at a distance <coughs> when when they said, you're a Galilean, you're a follower of Jesus, Peter said, I don't know that guy. There ain't no way. No, you're crazy. But now look, things are different. The crowd is gathering as these people begin to speak in other tongues. They're, they're mocking what they're doing. And Peter, filled with a Holy Spirit boldness, stands up and he begins to declare to them, this is not, we're not drunk. This is not crazy. This is the promise of the Father, which we have heard about all of our lives. The prophet Joel spoke of this day. No more running away from God when things get hard. No more denying He knows Jesus. Now just standing up in front of everyone and boldly declaring the message of Jesus. That's the empowering the Holy Spirit. Verse 17 and 18, it tells us the Holy Spirit would come upon people and it would empower them to have dreams and visions and to prophesy. We see in verse 37 that the Holy Spirit empowered Peter's preaching so that when he was finished, that these people were, were pricked at the heart and they cried out, Men and brethren, what must I do to be saved? 
And then if you look at verse 43, we find the Holy Spirit empowered them to perform many signs and wonders. Prior to Pentecost, you don't see the disciples making many signs and wonders, at least not consistently. But from this moment on, they're going to have a ministry filled with supernatural power. When you read throughout the book of Acts, you see the church of Jesus Christ filled with spirits, casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, setting captives free. All of this was done through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit who empowered them on the day of Pentecost is the same Holy Spirit who lives within us and empowers us today. Scripture gives us so many ways the Holy Spirit would empower us, wants to empower, seeks to empower us. But one way in particular is through the gifts The spiritual gifts He gives us. We don't have time to get into it very lot. We have a lot going on today. Uh, But you could look at, say, Romans 12. talks about some gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, uh, Ephesians 4. All of these talk about gifts the Holy Spirit gives to the church. And it gives these lists. And and while the lists are... a good place to start to look at to understand. I don't believe the gifts or these lists are meant to be exhaustive. I think the lists are meant to give us an idea of the broad range of ways the Spirit of God gifts us as disciples of Jesus. Uh, the big key is to understand that the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. Right. So again, we don't have time to get into the different gifts, but here's what 1 Corinthians 12 verses 4 through 7 and then verse 11 say. There are diversities of gifts, different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different administrations, so different ways we use it, but it's the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation, or these gifts of the Spirit, are given to each, every man for the profit of others. But these all, I'm sorry, but these worketh that every one, that one self-same Spirit, dividing to every man severally, as he will. So there are, there's a great diversity of spiritual gifts, but they all come from the same place. The Holy Spirit. The moment we were saved, we repented of our sins, we believed in Jesus Christ, we were born again. At that moment, the Holy Spirit made a decision about what spiritual gifts we should have. And he did a work in our lives and he implanted this gift or these gifts. Sometimes we may have more than one. These gifts within us. But the Holy Spirit gives us the gifts He knows we need to best accomplish the mission of Jesus in our world. Now, one, one reality, two realities, I guess. One is the Holy Spirit gives gifts to everyone. Um, every believer has at least one spiritual gift. That is, a, a, again, a crucial thing. Just as the Holy Spirit is for all people, the gifts are for all people. There is a gift given to every single believer in Jesus Christ. That is a, a hugely important understanding. Secondly, is these gifts are given for the profit of all. Right. So you and I, none of us were given gifts by the Holy Spirit to glorify us. Right. You and I were not given gifts so that when we use it, people would say, Stacy's awesome. Right. That, that's not the point. If that's what we've got going on, then it is not the Spirit working through us. It is not the Spirit empowering us. The gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us are to benefit others and to glorify Christ. But that's the point. What gifts God has given me, the Spirit has given me, are meant to benefit others 
and to glorify Christ. The gifts that the God has given to you, the Spirit has given to you, are meant to benefit others, to edify, to build them up, to equip them and to help them, and to glorify Christ. It's also worth noting, no one person has every gift needed to do all that needs to be done to reach the world for Christ. Right? Because the Holy Spirit does not equip us to be Lone Ranger Christians. The gifting of the Spirit is meant to work in such a way that we complement one another. Right? So there are things I can do that you can't do. There are things you can do that I can't do. Rather than me just saying, well, I'm terrible because I can't do what you can do, or you saying, gosh, I'm second class because I can't do what you can do, the point is that we would work together. And then together, look at that. Lo and behold, we can do that. And then there's other people, right? The other people who are part of our church. They have gifts we don't have. And so what we don't have, the, the gifts are meant to, to benefit each other, to complement one another, to enable us to reach our community for Jesus Christ. Right? The gifts and the empowering of the Holy Spirit is meant to bring us together as a church, as a body of believers devoted to Jesus, committed to His mission of making disciples of all nations. Right? Without the Holy Spirit's Leading and filling and empowering, all of this goes sideways. Right? Without the Holy Spirit's leading and filling and empowering, what happens is some will serve and use their gifts and others will set and just absorb what other people are doing. Right? What happens without the Holy Spirit is we will exalt one gift over another so that some people are superstars and other people feel like second class citizens. Or what will happen without the, the filling and the leading and the empowering of the Holy Spirit is important things will not get done. We will become complacent. We will become comfortable. And we will say, me and my four and no more. I love the people who gather here. I don't really want them people to be a part of what's going on in here. If we are to move forward as, as individuals, if we're to move forward as a church, if we're to move forward as families, we need the Holy Spirit's filling and empowering and leading in our lives. He, he equips us. He strengthens us. He empowers us to do whatever it is God would have us to do. He does this for us as individuals. He does this for us as a family. And He will certainly do this for us as a church. So, first, the Holy Spirit is for everyone. Secondly, the Holy Spirit empowers us. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit brings people to Jesus. All the Holy Spirit has done throughout the book of Acts, or the Acts chapter 2, is ultimately meant to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But after Peter explains to the people what's going on with them speaking in tongues, he says that he begins to talk about why this has happened. Right in verse 22, Peter turns the discussion to Jesus. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved unto God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as you yourselves know. And he begins to just walk through that Jesus was delivered and that he died and that he rose again. He, he just launches into a gospel presentation. Right Now everything about Peter's inspired message here is really good stuff. We don't have time to get into it unfortunately. In great detail. But the gist of his message about Jesus is. Jesus came 
And everything that happened to him happened on purpose so he could be the Savior and the Redeemer of man. Right in verse 32 and 33, we find that what was happening with the Holy Spirit, it was because Jesus died and because Jesus rose again. What we see in verse 36, that Peter is now talking about Jesus essentially cannot be defeated. Let the house of Israel know that God hath made this same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Though he died a shameful death upon the cross, he has risen and been exalted, given a name above every name. The day will come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As Lord and as Christ, He pours out the Spirit upon the church just as Scripture promised He would. The result of this message was it cut them to the heart and the people were brought to a place of deep conviction. It says they were pricked or they were cut in their heart. They said to Peter and the rest, the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? How, how can we get out from underneath this conviction? How, how can we be saved? Is kind of what they're asking. What the Holy Spirit did to empower Peter's preaching and to bring people to Jesus then is what the Holy Spirit does to empower us to speak the gospel and to work through us to bring people to Christ. Right? So let me show you this. Acts 1.8 You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. So one of the ways the Holy Spirit fills us and leads us and empowers us is to share the gospel. I mean, notice the wording. You shall receive power if the Holy Ghost has come, and what will happen? Ye shall be witnesses. I mean, that the, one of the most, the, the most common characteristic of being filled with the Spirit in the book of Acts is they were filled with the Spirit and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. But I mean, there are a lot of things people talk about when they talk about being filled with the Spirit. Even some of the things we've talked about in, in this passage cause people to get and, and just go down rabbit trails and dirt roads and take all of these exits and look at things that really don't matter. But here's the thing. Key truth to being filled with the Spirit those who are filled with the Spirit will witness about Jesus. I mean, that's a guarantee. That's what the Bible says. I mean, that's a promise. Right? All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise, right? We know that if you call upon the Lord, you will be saved. If you're filled with the Spirit, you shall be a witness. Same promise. Same certainty. So the Holy Spirit, when He comes upon us and when He fills us, and when He begins to empower us, one of the things He does is He causes us to to want to. I mean, there's a bubbling within us. I, I must tell people about Jesus. I, I must tell people about the one who died on the cross and rose again for my sin. I, I, I must tell others what I have found. And then once we begin to speak those words, the Holy Spirit then works through our feeble words and in the hearts of the people. And He convicts them. He reproves them of sin and righteousness and of judgment. The, the idea of reprove is best understood as convince. He convinces people of a truth they had previously not known. Three truths that the Holy Spirit convinces people of from this passage. One, sin. Right, the idea is that the Holy Spirit convinces people they are guilty of sin. Now, not guilty in the way your mom makes you feel guilty when you don't come over all the time. Right? 
but the kind of guilt that you find in a courtroom, a judicial guilt, boom, you're guilty no matter how you feel about it. Right? And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Prior to the Holy Spirit coming, most people think they're pretty good. Prior to the Holy Spirit dealing in their hearts, most people assume they're fine. The only way, the only reason people begin to realize they have sinned and they are guilty of sin is when the Holy Spirit is doing a work in their hearts and He is showing them, convincing them, convicting them, showing them you are guilty. I don't care if you feel bad about it. You are guilty of sinning against a holy God. And the point of Him convincing them of their sin is so they will see they have a lack of righteousness. Right? Because once a person recognizes they're guilty of sin, they begin to understand they have no legitimate righteousness of their own. Again, most people typically feel like they're good people. I'm a good person. I may not be perfect, but I'm not a sinner. I'm not that bad. And the Holy Spirit says, you have sinned against a holy God. You are guilty in the course of heaven. You have no righteousness of your own. Your righteousness, your best, is like a filthy rag. And once they are convinced of their lack of righteousness, the Holy Spirit then shows them where true righteousness can be found. The Holy Spirit points them to the cross. Points them to Jesus who died and rose again. And urges them to flee to the cross, to cling to Jesus and receive His righteousness in their lives. And He makes them aware that there is a judgment to come. This choice you make about holding on to your righteousness or running to Jesus for His righteousness, it has an eternal significance to it because there is a day of judgment to come. Again, most people don't want to think about judgment. Most people want to think there is nobody they are accountable to higher than themselves. And the Holy Spirit says there is. There's a God in heaven. A holy God with a just judgment. And you are going to face the terrible wrath of God because of your sin and your lack of righteousness lest you flee to Jesus. At that, moment, at that moment, the person has to make a decision. Will they cry out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Will they shake their fist at God and say, you will not rule over me. I am not going to give in to that. The reality is, every person always makes a decision every time. Every time you share the gospel with someone, that person makes a decision. They either receive Jesus or they reject Jesus. Every time someone hears a sermon, watches a sermon, they make a choice about Jesus. They either receive Jesus or they reject Jesus. The Holy Spirit is, is working in us and through us and for us to bring people to Jesus. God's desire is that Gaiman would be saved. God's desire is that goodwill would be saved. God's desire is that Hooker would be saved. God's desire is even that Texhoma would be saved. But God works through people. The Holy Spirit works through people who share the gospel. 
And every time we share the gospel, the Holy Spirit brings those people to a point where they must choose. Ultimately, our, our moving forward, particularly as a church, it is moving forward to a place where we are a soul-saving station. It is moving forward to a place where we are making disciples of all nations in Guyman, Hooker, Goodwill, and Texoma. It's moving forward to the place where we're seeing the lost saved and the prodigals restored, the broken hearts healed, and spiritually blind eyes opened and captives set free and the spiritually dead raised to new life in Christ. But it's not just us as a church that, that God's trying to move forward to that. The mission of making disciples, it doesn't belong to a nebulous entity called the church. It belongs to us. You and I as individuals. But, I mean, anything our church is or does is a reflection of who we are and what we do. So if our church is to be active on mission, following the Spirit forward, active on mission, making disciples of all nations, guess what that requires of us? It requires you and I to be active on mission, working to make disciples of all nations. Make no mistake, part of what God is doing in moving you forward as an individual it's moving you forward to be a soul winner and a disciple maker. Part of what God's doing to move your family forward is to use your family to win families and disciple families. And part of what God's doing to move our church forward is to win our community for Christ. To make disciples of all the nations we find around us. In order to move forward and do this, we must be Spirit-filled Spirit-led and Spirit-empowered. So the Holy Spirit is for everyone. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit brings people to Jesus. And finally, the Holy Spirit builds the church. One of the important truths you find in Scripture, particularly the book of Acts, those who the Holy Spirit brings to Jesus he also brings to the church. They join the church. This example begins in Acts 2 and goes all throughout the book. We only have time to look at Acts 2. But look at verse 41. Right. So verse 37. What must we do? Peter, repent and be baptized, every one of you. This promise is unto you. Verse 40. They, he testified, he exhorted. Verse 41. They, they gladly received the word and were baptized. The same day were added unto to them. Unto who? That 150 group. Now that 150 group, guess what they were? They were the only church at that time. So about 3,000 people were added to the church on that day. And even the baptism, right? Being baptized. What is the point of baptism? Baptism was a way to identify themselves with Jesus. They were identifying themselves with the people of Christ. Right? They were, that was, they were being added unto the church the very moment they were saved. They joined and were yoked up with the church. In verse 42, it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now, guess what? None of that was done alone. How did they do that? Together as a church. Right? These new people, they had never heard the apostles' doctrine before. How did they hear it? They gathered with the church. 
Who did they break bread with? The church. Who did they fellowship with? The church. Who do they pray with? The church. Look at verse 44 and 45. More salvation. And it says, And all that believed were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and good, parted them to all men as every man had need. Right? So they came together and they had this sort of a, a radical form of generosity. And what they said was, you're my family. And if you have a need and I can help you, I will do what I can to help you. Verse 46. They continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. So they came together in the temple at times. Then they met in houses and they did it daily. Can you imagine that they didn't just meet on Sunday mornings and then that was it. They were done their church for the week. They met together in some form or some fashion to study the Bible, to break bread, to pray, to encourage, to talk about ways to strengthen each other every single day. What a devotion to the church the church had. In verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. They were added to the church. One more thing, and it's just neat. Verse 43, fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostle. To me, this is one of the most interesting parts of Acts 2. And we see it in other places in Acts, but this is the first time we see it. The unbelievers feared the church. Now that seems like the opposite of what we would want. And it doesn't make sense in light of the fact that people were being added to the church daily. So why did they fear the church? What does that mean? The idea of fear isn't that they were afraid the church was going to Take them and stone them to death or anything like that. They weren't afraid because the church was so weird that they didn't understand how they understand what they were. Instead, what they did was they looked at the church. They saw how they lived, what they did, the things that was happening in the church and through the members of the church. And they said, holy cow, I don't understand that. That that has to be a God thing. That is not a natural origin. And the reality is things that our minds can't fully explain and comprehend are often scary. The people recognized what was going on in Acts. It wasn't the result of a rockin' band. It wasn't the result of an eloquent speaker. It wasn't the result of great programs. It wasn't the result of snazzy graphics and strobe lights. It was a God thing. It was real. It was powerful. And if you were to join to that, it would change your life. You would not be the same. You couldn't just play games and be a part of what they were doing. They were in awe because they recognized what was going on in the church was from God, from the Holy Spirit, not from man. So two realities from this last section for us to understand. One, the Christian who is not a part of the church is completely foreign to Scripture. 
Scripture gives us zero examples of genuine believers in Christ who are not part of the church. In fact, I read just the other day in 1 John in my Bible reading. 1 John 2, like verse 16 maybe, says they left us because they were not a part of us. It's people who had left the church. Why did they leave the church? They weren't really Christians to begin with, is what John is essentially saying. The believers in, in Scripture, those who were saved, joined with the church. They were active in the church. They served in the church. They gave to the church. They ministered for the glory of Christ in the church. It never occurred to New Testament believers that church might be optional and an add-in. Something to do if there's nothing better going on. They came to Jesus and Jesus had started the church and they were going to be a part of what He was doing in the church and through the church and for the church. And then secondly, man, we should long to see God and the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and our families and our church in such a way it defies any natural explanation. In some ways, the way we live as individuals, as families, and as a church should not make sense to unbelievers outside of God, the Holy Spirit, powerfully working in us and through us and for us. What we do when we meet, what who we are as we live, we should long for there to be the power of God so evident on our lives that unbelievers go, if you go to that church, you're going to be changed. If you talk to them about Jesus, that person about Jesus, it's going to make something happen in your heart and in your life. Oh, how we, how we need that in our day. How we as individuals should long for that in our lives, in our families, and in our church. That will not happen unless we're spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-empowered. And if we are, if we are spirit-filled, spirit-led, and spirit-empowered, we will be a part of the church. And if we are spirit-filled, spirit-led, and spirit-empowered, our lives will not make sense to unbelievers outside the power and the working of God the Holy Spirit. As I was planning the message on how to close, I thought about something we find often in the book of Acts. When the apostles go someplace and they find a group of believers they themselves did not lead to Christ. And they're trying to find out if they're genuinely saved. Do you know what they ask them? They never ask them, did you pray a prayer? They never ask them, did you kneel at an altar? They didn't ask them, had you been baptized? They ask them, do you have the Holy Spirit? Have you received the Holy Spirit? The evidence of the Holy Spirit was the sure and certain sign that person had been born again. So let me ask you today, have you received the Holy Spirit? And if you say yes, you have. And the question, I follow-up question I have is, What evidence of the Spirit's work in your life 
do you see? Do you live and minister to others through the power of the Spirit? Has there been a time when you were brought to a point of deep conviction and an awareness of your lack of righteousness that urged you to cry out to Jesus to save you? Is there a, a longing in your heart for more of Jesus, to know Him better, to love Him more, to serve Him more faithfully? Are you active, committed to the mission of Christ to make disciples of all nations? Are you committed to the church Jesus died to start? Every single believer is meant to experience the Holy Spirit's power and work, gifts in our life. We are all meant to be Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, Spirit-empowered. If we do not see evidence of the Spirit's work in our lives, then we must make time, carve out time, and cry out to Jesus until the Holy Spirit is poured out upon us. And we know we are Spirit-filled. We know we are Spirit-led. And we know we are Spirit-empowered. Not because we say it, but because the evidence is clear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We are thankful for the Holy Spirit You have given to live within us, to empower us, to strengthen us, to guide us in our life. Let us follow the Spirit as He moves us forward. Let us seek the Spirit till, like Jesus said, rivers of living water would flow out of our hearts. Let there be evidence of the Spirit's work in our lives every single day. Let us know we are following His leading. Let us know we are Spirit-filled. Let us be empowered to serve, to make disciples, to bear the fruit of the Spirit, just to do the things Jesus would have us to do. Guide our church. Help us to be a place where the Spirit works powerfully. Let us be a place where the Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus and where souls are saved and lives are changed and people outside of our church and our community would know there is hope, help, and healing through Christ in that place. And if you go there, if you go there, you'll meet Jesus and your life will never be the same. Have your way in us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so as of right now, we're planning to resume gatherings next Sunday morning. Right? It'll just be church, no Sunday school. We'll meet at 11. Um, I'll give more about it as the week goes on, but plan to come next week. Uh, doors will be open before 11 if you want to come earlier, but 11 o'clock is when the service will start. So plan to come. Now, of course, we still are active in the, the coronavirus thing, so if you... Are afraid. You don't want to come and, and gather together uh, for fear of being exposed. That, that's totally okay. We are still going to live stream. We have a whole new setup that we're getting worked at. Uh, so we are going to live stream, hopefully from this point forward. So if you can't make it, if you are afraid to gather uh, here because of that, you'll still be on live stream. But if you're not, we will gather together. Uh, we're going to do some things, get the sanctuary prepared for everybody. We are looking forward to everyone being together. Of course, if you want to give before next week, you can mail the check. Uh, Northridge Field Baptist Church, Post Office Box 1707, Guyman, Oklahoma, 73942. That will go to Lavina. Uh, Lavina will get it. 